You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode three of our show where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, and Mac. We're recording on Thursday, February 12th, 2015. Today we're going to talk about Apple being the first U.S. company to reach a $700 billion market cap. Apple's $850 million investment in a solar energy farm. Tim Cook speaking at Goldman Sachs an impending MacBook Air refresh, and more. Today we have with us Apple Insider Managing Editor, Neil Hughes. Hey, Neil, thanks for being here. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's going great. And we also have Contributing Editor, Victor Marks, again joining us. Hey, Victor. Hey, good to be here. Great, and I'm Stephen Robles. So let's get right into it. Apple reaching a $700 billion market cap. They were the first United States company to reach it. On Tuesday, they closed at $122.02 per share, and their market cap value was $710 billion, actually a little over that. The first U.S. company to ever do that. And again, that was just a week after they set records for their profitable quarter, most profitable quarter ever, and things like that. And they are now twice the market valuation of Microsoft, which is at $349 billion, and nearly twice that of Google at $365 billion. So just amazing, record-shattering numbers again. My only thing is I'm almost afraid to know how long they can keep it up. Well, that's Wall Street for you, right? I mean, what does it mean, this market cap? It's just some fictional thing that's created on the market that you know people make or lose money based on it, but it's just a weird game that they play there. Even today, Carl Icahn said it should be $214 a share, even now. You know, so whether you... Right. <laughs> I don't know about that, but... Well, and he's a he's a uh, major shareholder in Apple, so of course right. he would like to see it being traded at two hundred and sixteen dollars or whatever he said it should be today. Uh, you know, he's a noisemaker, and he wants Apple to invest more in themselves, and he sees it as a no brainer investment, as he calls it. And obviously, you know, Apple is selling a metric ton of uh, products right now, and they're doing pretty well. But the market is fickle, and the market, for some reason, likes to see you know twenty to thirty to fifty percent year over year growth. And then meanwhile, we'll drive up or down the stock price of other companies based on arbitrary rules for those companies. You know, Apple's made makes more money in a quarter than Amazon's made in their entire existence. Does it have any real relevance to where the share prices are, where they stand? Uh, it's hard to say. Right. But clearly, Apple is still making a ton of money. And what I thought was really interesting, the same day that they broke that record, the market cap value, uh, Tim Cook mentioned that about their $850 million uh, I say investment, but basically they're going, they've pledged to buy $850 million worth of power from First Solar, which is a solar company, and they're building this uh, solar plant out in California. And Apple will basically get 130 megawatts of power, enough to power 60,000 California homes. And they're doing this again to offset their their new campus, and it will cover all their retail stores and stuff like that. So just really interesting and probably a good thing that Apple kind of said one of the things they're going to do with all this money in the near future, especially something green and kind of um, good for posterity, you know, good, good on well, Apple's it's, image. It's in alignment with their values is, right. is the right way to think of that. You know, they have, they have stated time and again what their values are when it comes to good manufacturing practices, uh, um, what it comes when it to when it means about sustainable and, and environmental impacts of their their server farms that they've built they they've always thought about 
being a good corporate citizen with respect to to the rest of the planet and the rest of humanity, especially when it comes to their manufacturing. Right. And, you know, I thought it was especially interesting. Tim Cook, he spoke at Goldman Sachs again this week where he mentioned this thing about the solar farm. But, you know, Steve Jobs is always big on green and how their devices are green and mercury-free and aluminum and all that. But it seems like Tim Cook, yeah, he's really taken a role over the past several months as a, almost like a culture... Uh, very culture-related, kind of almost a trendsetter. I mean, with they're in- investing in the solar farm. Tim Cook has been very outspoken about marriage equality and uh, things like that. And he's just kind of positioning himself as a as a cultural figure, not just about technology, but trying to have an, a positive influence uh, on society as a whole. It's uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's definitely Tim Cook's Apple. You can definitely see the changes that have been made. I mean, obviously, Apple was a green company under Steve Jobs, and he focused on those kind of things. But, you know, there's a famous conversation that uh, took place between uh, Steve Jobs and Al Gore, where uh, Apple just kept getting railed on by Greenpeace, and they were protesting and all that. And it just reached a point where Jobs threw his hands up, and Al Gore told him, he said, listen, you just got to keep doing what you're doing, and you can't worry that much about these people because, you know, they're going to be upset, and they're going to do what they do. But, uh, you know, now it's funny to see under Tim Cook because they're a little more open and a little more transparent about what they're doing. Now Greenpeace, every time uh, Apple makes an announcement or does something, they put out a press release saying how great Apple is and how other companies need to follow their lead. So I think that's an example of where maybe Steve Jobs wanted to be more tight-lipped about everything just because that was his policy. And Tim Cook would like to be a little bit more open. And as a result, it just takes the idea of Apple and what they stand for and elevates it in the public consciousness. Right. And, you know, when Tim Cook took over as CEO, there was a lot of talk, you know, whether if he was going to be as strong of a figure as Jobs was. And I think he's proven, especially recently, how tenacious he can be. One of the quotes from this past Tuesday, uh, he said, we know that climate change is real. Our view is that the time for talk has passed and the time for action is now. We've shown that with what we've done. And I think that's Cook saying, you know, we're going to make our actions speak just as loud as our words, if not louder. And they're willing to spend money to do it. Well, put that number in perspective. Apple, as of last quarter, had $170 billion in cash. Right. (laughs) So, you know, like, are they $700 billion? Is that what they're worth? Because apparently they have a good chunk of that just sitting around in the bank. Like, that's pretty wild when you think about it. Right. And and even the the $850 million investment in the solar stuff, it it's a huge number. It's a massive amount of money. But then when you look at it in, in perspective, it's one 170th or 120th of their, yeah, of their Tim cash. Cook, Tim Cook takes that out of his couch at the HQ, you know, like, <laughs> this is not... This is not a ton of money in the grand scheme of things, but that's where, you know, they can kind of put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and stand for things that are important to them. And while it may be pocket change for for Tim and for Apple, it's it makes a huge difference for, uh, you know, uh, the future of green energy and the investments that go into it and making it feasible for uh, mass market. Yeah. Now. Another thing that I'd been thinking about was that years ago, uh, there was a Phil Schiller quote where Phil had said that uh, that's awfully personal. Mr. Schiller had said that, um, (laughs) you know, that at the time they were debating whether or not they had to make a phone or they could make a car. And I was thinking about this, you know, Tesla is is worth decent money. But if Apple wanted to purchase Tesla, it would be just a couple of quarters. They'd only have to have a couple of good quarters and they could buy yeah. A car company. And that was also in the news this week. And we had a piece on Apple Insider saying Apple is 
going to basically looking into making a car and to give Tesla a run for its money. And it sounds kind of crazy on the face of it. But again, when you think about what Tim Cook is doing in the realms, they're still in technology realms, but in the realms outside their own devices, again, like the solar plant and all this kind of stuff, it it almost, it's, it's more feasible to think, well, you know, a car is nowadays just a computer on wheels. Uh, why not would, why wouldn't they try something? Just do some research. If sure. Anything. But the other thing is that there's a lot of um, employee poaching between Apple and Tesla. When Tesla wants right. new employees, they hire Apple employees away. And and one way to put a stop to that is simply buy Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to read too much yeah. into this stuff because you could look at the employee poaching and be like, oh, Tesla's hiring a bunch of Apple people. Do they want to make a phone? Like, you know, they're, they're talented people working in technology. And, you know, I am sure that in Apple's secret labs, they have... Uh, you know, some projects out there and their skunk works that are pretty crazy and pretty out there that never see the light of day. I'm sure they're dabbling with things. You know, they want to skate to where the puck's going to be. They're thinking about the future of technology and it's possible, you know, maybe not five years from now, but maybe 15 years from now that a smart car that connects in with the rest of your devices is a market that they might want to be interested in or get into. But it's hard to see them doing something in the near term with a with a so-called iCar. I just I find that hard to believe. Yeah. Well, if anyway, we can move on. I just wanted to point out also we had a a video on Apple Insider with Apple's new campus, again, all going in with the whole energy deal and uh, some exclusive look. And then later uh, we had some pictures. Uh, Apple allowed some media personnel to actually take pictures up close. So I'll put those links in show notes and definitely take a look at that, Apple's new uh, campus too, up close. So I also want to mention MacBook Air. It's looking like the refresh is imminent. And it's going to be refreshed with the Intel Broadwell chips, possibly late this month. We'll see the refresh. And I tweeted out uh, on Sunday, I was asking readers kind of what features they were looking for. And we were talking right before the show, kind of what we were hoping to see in a refresh. Uh, So I know uh, you guys mentioned and we saw we definitely, hopefully they'll put more RAM as default. Because right now it's still four gigs of RAM and a MacBook Air, I think eight I think it really needs to be the default in uh, in Apple's laptops nowadays. Just, yeah, just for perspective, the original iMac, the uh, the Bondi Blue iMac, the maximum that it could take was 512 meg, and officially the spec was for 256. And you could run OS 10 10.1 on that thing. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we've come a long way. We've come a long we? way. <laughs> well, but, the iPhone still had 512 megs of RAM in it up until recently, so there you go. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. But uh, hopefully more RAM and definitely more SSD storage. Um, I know a couple of you guys were saying that, you know, you guys hurting for, for storage now. And uh, it would just be really nice. I think right now the minimum is still uh, it's 128 on the lowest end model. Yeah, it used to be 64. Right. But 128 gigs, you know, even on a it's on the 899 11-inch MacBook Air. That should hopefully at least be 256, and then all the other ones. I mean, 500 seems like a a minimum now for especially the size of apps that we're dealing with, and if eventually the MacBook Air gets into retina territory, I mean, all the apps usually tend to be bigger then, and there's going to be, especially things like Pixelmator or other apps that have to do with graphic editing. Yeah, but the thing is we're doing this wrong. We, we are using our computers wrong. You know, if you think back, Steve Jobs always used his computer in a way where he, he was basically network booting. He would open his laptop and sign in, and it would boot off his network drive. And it didn't matter which computer he used. He signed into any one of them, and it worked. And if you use a computer like that, 
you don't need local storage. We're yeah. getting there with cloud services. We're not there yet, certainly. But if if that's the future we want, then local storage becomes irrelevant. Well, I'll give you an example. So I'm on an iMac right now. It's a terabyte uh, drive. And I kind of do what you're talking about. I use iTunes Match for my music. So I have no local music or movies on my machine. And I actually download a minimum of apps, but having the Adobe Creative Suite on a computer and, uh, you know, things like Final Cut and Logic, it starts eating away. And uh, so, I mean, again, 128, if you want to do anything more than email and web browsing, even if you're not keeping your music and movie library on your computer, uh, I think you definitely need some more space. But one of the other things that people said they wanted was, and a lot of people said this for a long time, was built-in cellular data on a MacBook Air. And I think it would be a great feature, but I doubt, I just don't see Apple doing that. No, especially not with, uh, you know, if you're running Yosemite and iOS 8, you can enable your personal hotspot on your phone right. without even changing any settings on it. You just hit a button and it's good to go. And if you have a modern, you know, shared data plan, then they don't charge you extra for tethering anymore. So I don't think there's much of a need to integrate 3G. Now, they used to. There were prototypes that made it out to eBay that had cellular antennae in the screen frames. But I, I agree with Neil. There's there's simply yeah. no need when your phone does the same job. The thing that people responded that I really was interested in was people responded saying they'd like to see Touch ID in the MacBook Air. Yeah, and this makes so much sense. Yeah, I agree. I would love to have it there. And then uh, the follow-up question was, where do they? Where would they put it? Well, that's that's a big design problem because if you look at the MacBook Air, you've got two palm rests and a trackpad. And you need to figure out some way that you can implement it into one of these things elegantly. Um, one thing you could do is, remember the power button used to be a circle up above the keyboard before it became mm-hmm. a key on the keyboard? Right. And you could go ahead and put the Touch ID sensor up in that kind of location. But I want to talk about the utility of it because I think that it's, it's really expanding on the promise of Apple Pay as a way of paying online. Yeah, and I think it it also works for dovetailing in with um, the built-in password management that OS X provides for Safari users. Right. No, I'm totally for it. I mean, I I would love to have it. I I feel like that would location would be the only feasible option because the thing about the phone and less so the iPad, but even so, the, you know, the home button is kind of a natural place for your thumb to be when you wake it up. On a laptop, you know, it's already on usually. I don't power off my laptop a lot, but, you know, usually you open it from the, the little clamshell thing by the trackpad, and there's no, I just don't see a touch ID sensor there. Well, and, you know, you could put one in the corner between the trackpad and the palm rest right under the command key. That would be natural enough. But the thing yeah. is, it's, it's not natural at all that home is where your finger rests when you wake it up. It's natural because we've had eight years of using iPhones to make it feel natural. You have to remember that when touch ID was on Motorola phones before it became an Apple product that it was on the back of the phone. There's, there's nothing yeah. that dictates that it has to be in a specific place. It's just that it has to be in a place that's easy for us to reach and looks beautiful when you open the laptop. Now, if, I, if, if I had to guess, I'd say, because Apple likes to kind of use parts across devices and that way they can mass produce it and save a few bucks, I would, I would say, uh, as Victor said, you just change the power button back to a circle and you use the yeah. same uh, home button that you already have, the technology that's already there in the iPhone. You just put it up there in the upper right corner on your MacBook. 
and when you need to authorize, you just tap there. I know a lot of people would like to have it in the trackpad, but the problem with that is the way Touch ID is implemented right now is there's a ring around the outside of the home button that sends the charge through your finger that allows it to work. Right. I don't know how that would work on a trackpad because you'd have to be touching the edge of the trackpad if they use the same technology in order for it to work. Now, maybe they've got a way around that, but I don't know. You know, n- never doubt the the engineering prowess, right? When you just said blue sky, what could we do instead of that won't work? So if you say, what could we do? What if you lace copper in the glass as you're making the glass and use the copper impregnated in the glass across the whole track? But I'm just making this up. I didn't, but, you, right. And you just said impregnated, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. If I, <laughs> I don't know where I am with this. But, I, you know, I, we did have an article uh, last week talking about Apple was researching Touch ID technology into screens, and that is something where I have seen some Android users be able to wake up their phone just by tapping the screen twice, which that is kind of a natural location for your thumb because that's where it's going to be whenever you're about to open the app right after the phone's on. So that seems like you know kind of a, an intelligent place to put it, but I I doubt we're going to see this in the refresh for MacBook Airs this month or next. But it's well, you're, well, you have to make a distinction too. There's the refresh of the MacBook Airs, and then there's the uh, you know mythical 12-inch Retina MacBook Air. Uh, it's right. looking like what we're probably going to get is a refresh to the existing design, which, if history is any indication, there won't be any physical changes to those laptops. They're going to look just like the previous MacBook Airs. Right. They're just going to have some specs changed on the inside, and that's going to be it. And they're going to save an entirely new design for the 12-inch model, which is the same thing that they did uh, when they introduced the Retina MacBook Pro. If they take the right. same approach, then that's probably what they're going to do, and Apple tends to be pretty predictable in terms of how they do those kind of things. So I think that's what everybody's expecting at this point. That's true. And the last thing I'll say, some people did mention more Thunderbolt or USB ports on the MacBook Air. I, I want a five and a quarter floppy drive. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, that's, laughs> no, someone did tweet us and I say that. I want, you know, I have, I have eight inch floppies and I have five and a quarter inch floppies. And about two weeks ago, I had to revive a three and a half inch floppy. Well, do, are any of them Oregon Trail? That's all I want to know. <laughs> Dang it. Uh. No, I, I, I actually had Mosaic, the old, uh, the uh, original web browser running what? on iOS 9.2, not iOS, on macOS 9.2. Oh, okay. I, I almost say. said System 9.2. I was going to say. System at that point. Yeah. No, I had, uh, yeah, I, I was running Mosaic. I had wow. to run the old web browser. Yeah, well, I don't see a floppy drive in there, but hopefully, yeah. hopefully, we'll see the refresh uh, later this month. So that's it for the MacBook Air. One of our other stories was iOS 8.3. The first beta was released to developers along with Swift 1.2, the next iteration of Swift. And in iOS 8.3, there was a CarPlay wireless support. And also in related news, Swift has been picked up by American Airlines, LinkedIn, and Getty in their making of the app. Now, I've, as far as CarPlay, I have actually yet to see it uh, in person or even see some of the third-party. I I have two CarPlay units. I have a Pioneer in one of my vehicles, and I have the Alpine uh, ILX007 in the other vehicle. So now, so as of right now, it is not. You have to have it tethered physically with a cable. It is it, it, currently to use a CarPlay unit, you plug in a lightning cable. Okay. Which is brilliant. It's so good. Well, but a wireless would be even better. No. Uh, no, you don't think so? No. Why is that? Ask, <laughs> pairing, <laughs> pairing the phone uh-huh. is garbage. I never want to have to deal with Bluetooth pairing ever again. Um, what if it automatically pairs, though? Why would right. that be an issue? I mean, you only if pair it, it the worked, first time. If it worked the first time every time, 
Yes. But the first time it breaks, die in a fire. <laughs> I, I will say, when I, when I sit in a rental car and try to pair my phone, it is a headache. It's garbage. It's That's absolute but don't abomination. You, don't you think it would be easier through Apple's CarPlay system? I mean, usually pairing Bluetooth devices on an iOS device is pretty straightforward. If it works the first time, have you tried Bluetooth low energy and seen how many of the Bluetooth low energy wearable devices do not recognize or fall off the end of the earth in the middle of synchronizing (laughs) or pretend to sync forever? Try and firmware update a wearable fitness bracelet and tell me again that these things just work, even though you don't have to go to settings and pair Bluetooth. If it works 100% of the time, all the time, great. If it works... If, if 60% of the time it works, you know, it's mad. Uh, 100% yeah. of the time it works, 60% of the time, forget it. You sound like you've been burned by Bluetooth. It's, it's and, painful. And Wi Fi <laughs> is brilliant, but the power management issues around Wi Fi are also huge. You will drain down your phone in a heartbeat. There's a lot yeah. of sense to plugging in your phone. Well, I don't think that's going to go away. I think this is just a new right. option for people that want it to connect wirelessly. So if you want to stay wired and you want to run Ethernet everywhere and do all that, you can do it. But you know, the, for the rest of us that want it wireless, it's nice to have the option. Wireless is okay. for you're getting in your car, you're leaving your phone in your pocket because you're going on a five-minute drive or a 10-minute drive, and you want it to work. That's, that's yeah. fine. That makes yeah. great sense, and God bless you. But the call quality over the wired lightning connection is brilliant. It, uh, you true. plug it in. It launches. It's brilliant. There's simply no failure there. Okay. That's what I value out of an Apple experience is that there's no failure. And, and I will admit that we haven't been seeing that across every iOS release. But, and, and there are some flaws in CarPlay. There are CarPlay crashes. But by God, the lightning connection makes a lot of sense. Well, and with the CarPlay and <laughs> other iOS features, they're saying that there's going to be a lot of bug fixes and stability People uh, changes brought to iOS, and they thought maybe we'd have to wait till iOS nine. But it looks like a lot of those stability things will come out in these point updates. I'm really hoping that it fixes uh, AirDrop from iOS to Mac. I don't know if you guys use that often, but that's that's very hit and miss for me. Completely unreliable, and it's unreliable from iPhone to iPhone, from iPhone to iPad. I try to use it all the time, and. You know, I end up just iMessaging stuff to myself rather than using AirDrop because yep. it'll show up on one device but not another. It's it's really frustrating. The, the show is going to run on for two hours if we talk about all of the things that could be fixed. You know, uh, a lot of AirPlay stuff. from iOS device to Apple TV or AirPlay from Mac to Apple TV for one thing would be what, great to see fixed. I will say AirPlay for me is pretty solid. And Are you mirroring from your Mac? No, I don't, well, I'm sorry. AirPlay Air, is, AirPlay is solid from works. iOS. AirPlay works fine for me, but here's what's yeah. strange about it. If I'm using my Apple TV and it's plugged in over Ethernet, it doesn't work very well. If it's over right. Wi-Fi, it works great. Why? Right. This so makes here's the thing about Apple TV that no one will tell you is that if you're plugged in through Ethernet, you must turn off Wi-Fi on the Apple TV and then Ethernet works brilliantly. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> Again, now, the show will run on for two hours if it you just works, about all right? the things that can be works. fixed. Well, I just hope they fix AirDrop. I will say, I just want to say real quick, my Apple TV setup, I don't know if many users know this with Apple TV, but the Apple TV can actually airplay sound to an airport express yes, that's connected to speakers. Right. And that's what I have set up in my bedroom. I have speakers. It's, by it's the not just an airport express. It is any right. airplay speaker. Right, right. Very so true. So you can get the, the Philips AirPlay speakers, you can get the iHome AirPlay speakers, whatever right. you want to do, and use those as your speakers for your Apple TV. Right. Now, let me ask you, Stephen, do you get an audio drift over time? Because I've had that problem with my Airport Express over the years. You know, 
No, for some reason. Now, I will say, I, sometimes I have to restart the Airport Express because it loses the connection and it, the Apple TV just wants to play it out of the TV speakers. But after I reset it, it I could watch for a couple hours and I don't see it. And I can even airplay from my iPhone or iPad to the Apple TV and the video's there and the audio's still coming through the speakers that I have plugged in the Airport Express. So that's what It's a place. really cool setup, but yeah, like yeah. I have, uh, I've done like a multi-room setup with Airport Express and what happens right. is it's a known bug that's been there from the beginning since before it was even known as AirPlay where uh, over time the audio from each room will just drift a little bit further apart uh, and a little bit further apart and it, yeah, air tunes and now airplay, right. uh, and so it's still a bug or a problem that's there. That's just, I guess, you know, an issue inherent with wireless networking, where they just drift slowly over time, and then it, you end up with this weird, like, feeling where the the music is off from one room and another, and you're like, ah, uh, oh, you got to go and reset it and restart it. I, I don't know how much drift that is, but it's it's a noticeable drift. You know, okay. you, you can hear. You start getting annoyed at how bad things are when you get a forty millisecond difference, yes. and oh, it's. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. I did want to bring up before we move on that uh, one of the things I like to do is watch what developers have to say about things. And Will Shipley uh, was tweeting that well, – Will Shipley has been a long, long time developer. He said that in 1987 when he saw Coco, um, that that he knew at that moment that that was the time that he wanted to devote his life to backing that technology and helping it spread and helping other people use it because it was so amazing. And he, he declared that he's not going to do Coke or Objective-C uh, anymore, that he is moving everything to Swift because hmm. it is that moment again that he is so confident in, in the latest Swift release. Wow. Well, and I'm, I'm also hopefully – the top story on Apple Insider right now is uh, – Piper Jaffrey sees a revamped Apple TV in the fall. And, of course, there's been talk that the Apple TV will be the center of HomeKit once Is, we finally start seeing devices. Well, Apple TV will will play a large role in HomeKit, but the whole revised Apple TV thing is is another Gene Munster downfall. <laughs> well, now, now I'm not talking, talking about like a TV TV, but at least refresh the box because it's been, I think, well, at least two years. You know, we could use more RAM and a better processor in it, but those are, um, you know, those are wires and pliers or, or specs yeah. kind of geek things. And what what is it that you think you'd really want to change about the Apple TV experience well, let as me, a whole? Let me well, they you. bought PrimeSense. I mean, so you got to think that they're right. looking into some sort of a motion control of some type, right? I mean, that, that would be why you'd buy that company. Right. And oh yeah, since we're on TV, this was actually a story I had um, in the optional section. But, you know, Dish's Sling TV, uh, the service came out and it's allowing – you to stream some channels live like uh, TNT, TBS, and some ESPN. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, even hopefully the Apple TV hardware, whether that gets updated or not, it'd be great to see some of these services live on the Apple TV so you don't have to have this disconnect from like you have to airplay it, you know, for these certain channels. And I really noticed it this past weekend. I was trying to watch the Grammys and, you know, we talked about net neutrality last week and this kind of plays into it, but, uh, it was impossible to stream the Grammys, uh, even with CBS All Access. I actually signed up for it that night. Was was that partly because they didn't have a, a good content distribution network? You know, they weren't using Akamai or any of these other services to make the stream work? No, it was, well, you had to sign up for CBS All Access, and you could stream <laughs> it through the app on iPad. Which Is that the $5 a month one? Yes, and I was, I was happy to do it for the one night. They actually had a seven-day free trial, so I was like, well, I don't even have to pay anything. Uh, so I signed up, and when I fired up the app on my iPad, it said, this content is not available in your area. And uh, that was it. 
Well, well you, you know, you, you want to talk about cable companies. As much as Victor hates Bluetooth connections and wireless connections, I hate cable companies that much more because I tell you <laughs> what, they are just – it's a nightmare dealing with these companies. And I've been doing the same. I just moved into a place here in Brooklyn and got set up with Time Warner Cable. And they, you know, they, they bundle everything together, and they gave me a phone number. And I'm watching TV the other day. I didn't even know I had a phone number, and I get a, and it's telling me on the TV that I got a phone call coming in. And I don't even, I don't, how did they get the number? I don't, I don't even know the number. Somebody's calling me on this number. I'm paying for a phone line, you know. Yeah. And and there it is. I'm getting phone calls, and so it's great to see this Sling TV, and we could be, you know, getting web-based stuff. And I was talking to my wife about the other night, and I was like, that'd be great, you know, just pay for ESPN and not right. have to pay Time Warner for it. But the problem is they're going to bundle it anyhow. I'm going to end up paying for ESPN. ESPN anyhow because I got to buy internet through them, right? I have no other choice. You do have a choice, but it's hard. I I called up Time Warner and I said, I don't want your bundle and I don't want your phone and I don't want your TV. All I want is internet. And they they tried a couple of times to give me good bundle prices and I said simply, listen, only the internet and that's it. And I have a 50 megabit down. you pay more you just want to get the internet. No, no, I'm paying less. I'm paying uh, $70 for 50 megabits down. For how long? Until they change your bill, right? <laughs> uh, I've had that deal for two and a half, three years now. Well, you are yeah. one of the few, my friend. <laughs> I, I, will, I will say Bright House down in um, Central Florida where I'm at, they've, they've let me pay just for internet for the past, whatever, five years. So they do that. But the problem is, again, like this CBS All Access was not available in my area because Bright House has some kind of monopoly. And even with the Sling TV player... Um, I would love to have these channels. I don't want to have to have my iPad just to watch TV, first of all, because this is not, it doesn't live on the Apple TV. But even as these networks open up to services like this, you know, it's all whether the cable provider in your area is going to allow it or not. And, uh, I mean, if they don't allow CBS, my goodness, but... And there's these stupid disputes they have, too. I was trying to watch a show the other night, and it turned out that because ABC and Time Warner don't get along, they make Time Warner customers wait an extra week in order to get their on-demand content, even though it's available (laughs) on every other platform the day before. So, you know, if you're on Comcast, then you're great. But if you're on Time Warner, you're screwed, and I don't have a choice. Right. Yeah, the best is when they get in a fight with a local channel, and they insist you call the local channel, and they put the 800 number of the local channel up and say, you Go call them and tell right. them you yeah. want Time Warner to fight our battles for us. Yeah, <laughs> How, what what a horrible customer service policy all these companies have. And the, the, We're in the midst of a big contract dispute that you don't you don't care about at all. We want you to call on our behalf anyhow because you're the victim in the end here. Right. And the, the last thing, the last thing I'll, I'll mention, you know, I, I was trying to get CBS, it wasn't working. All these channels, yada yada. I have a thirty dollar antenna stuck to my window of my house going straight into my TV, and I get CBS, ABC, NBC, and HD all completely free. And better quality, it, too, because it's not compressed. Right, and I can watch it whenever I want. So I'm like, I don't even pay for that. I just bought a $30 antenna, and I can watch it whenever I want. But I can't – I'm willing to pay. Like, it, let me pay 5 or $10 to get NBC and CBS live on my Apple TV, and uh, it's just not happening. So I'm sure many people can identify with that as well, but – well, Apple's supposedly been in talks with the content providers. They want right. to work out a deal. And if anybody's going to work out a deal with them, it's going to be ABC ESPN because they have a close relationship with Apple. And that would right. be great. And that's a great start. I mean, ESPN is really the biggest hurdle. You now have ESPN on Sling TV, so it's a start. You've got HBO going uh, online only for subscribers in a few months. That's a start. It's headed in the right direction, but you know, at some point, 
everybody's going to have to deal with their cable company and try to get out of these bundles and try to do all this because yeah. you know they're they're going to throw in a phone number and if you want to get on demand then you have to upgrade to their next tier and then they're going to give you a discounted price for a certain amount of time and then they're going to rack it up after yeah. six months. I mean, it's a it's a it, to borrow a term from Steve Jobs, it's a bag of hurt and right. Apple's trying to cut through it and they're apparently trying to negotiate behind the scenes and get something worked out, but they got a long way to go. I'm guessing. Yeah. What I do like about Apple TV is. Uh, Every content channel on it is is treated as a first citizen. There, there's no one that rises above the others with special treatment other than placement on the screen where iTunes Store is always in the upper left. Um, yeah. that's, that's one of the things I really find valuable. I've, I've been using Amazon Fire TV Stick and right. Chromecast. And, and Chromecast, everything's mostly neutral because everything is you choose from your phone. But Fire definitely places Amazon above all others. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and I really really value where Apple's made it a flat playing field. What I love about my Apple TV too is I use Hulu all the time. That's basically mm-hmm. how I watch TV, and it glitches just enough where it just skips the commercials on Hulu for nice. some reason. Nice, good for you. <laughs> so it gets to a commercial I, break, it flickers, and then it goes yeah. past it. I say oh, that's great. What I would really like is for the people behind Hulu who who maintain the Apple TV channel, I wish that they would update it so that it would mark episodes that are new with a flag so you could see it instead of having to go in and see if it's the time to watch a new episode. Yeah, that's true. And that's one of the things that they did right when they wrote Hulu for Amazon Fire TV Stick. But yeah. otherwise... It, it, yeah. The the one thing I want more than anything from a new Apple TV, you know, you can have games and apps and all that, but good voice control. I have an Xbox One. Mm-hmm. It is insane to me how poor the voice control can be on a device that has a dedicated camera and microphone that is always plugged into the wall. The <laughs> fact that my phone that runs in my pocket on a battery can have better voice control than a dedicated box sitting in front of the TV with a microphone two feet in front of my face is yeah. just ridiculous to me. That it has no natural language support. Uh, it doesn't understand what I'm saying. If I tell my Xbox to change the channel to CNBC, it changes it to country music television every <laughs> single time. It does not understand CNBC. That's crazy. And yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 you know that is an area where Apple could come in and clean up because if you look at the options that are available now, there's a lot of cheap streaming devices. But nobody's yeah. really nailed the voice control and the motion control in the living room. And Microsoft's been trying for a while now, but it's embarrassing how bad it is. And the, the, the Amazon problem, Fire the problem TV is, is getting there. Yeah, well, the Amazon Fire TV and Fire TV Stick both have voice control with Fire TV Stick. You have to use it from an app on your phone. Right. But the problem is there. They, they treat Amazon as the first citizen and everything else as second class. They will only do voice for Amazon service. And if, if you're doing an Apple TV, you really want it to be a unified experience across all of the channels. Yeah. And I don't so want to fumble around have... for my phone. I don't want to fumble around no, for God, a remote no. and I have to pick it up and hold it up and talk into it. I mean, come on. Well, it's just... I do want a remote. I don't get rid of the remote because that's the thing that kills me about Chromecast. Do, do not get rid of the remote. Keep the, yeah. the six-button remote. Chromecast, I stopped using it a day after I got it. It was just, yeah. It's so difficult. Well, anyway, okay, so let's, uh, I think we've ranted on TV <laughs> for <laughs> quite some time. I'll put it up to a vote. We have the form um, feature that went up today about the um, tactile interface technology on iPad. And we can also talk about the IBM partnership and how Apple is, quote unquote, kind of controlling what the salespeople do uh, in their presentations. What do you guys want to do, IBM or the form? 
Uh, I guess let's talk about the forum. That was a big story today, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a big uh, big feature. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting uh, technology. I can't really see it catching on in its current form with a, uh, a giant uh, case that you have to put around your iPad and what have you. But uh, And the the other thing is the buttons don't really press. It's just kind of a thing that you can feel there. I'm not – this almost feels in a lot of ways like a solution in search of a problem at this point. I don't know that it really makes type would make typing that much better, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that the point of having a touchscreen keyboard is that the keyboard can change to reflect necessary buttons for an app. When you're right. in a web browser, you get a .com button. Right. Uh, when you're entering numbers, you can get a numerical number pad. The, the form in its current state doesn't allow for that kind of change. But having those places to help you locate your fingers on the touchscreen could be helpful. Maybe. Yeah. The, the reason for the giant case is that that's where the liquid reservoir is because right. the liquid comes in to make it tactile and then retreats when your keyboard isn't up. The, the, yeah. The, the only way that this technology catches on if, if, is if it gets acquired by Apple or somebody else, right. and, you know, and it gets integrated at a hardware and software level. I mean, imagine if you had an iPhone and in the software, you know, a developer could have a game where when it loaded up the game, it would put little buttons on the screen that you could feel while you were playing it. No, and, oh, and that would be, you know, and so you could have dynamic things that could show up on the screen on an app by app basis. But as it stands right now, yeah. using your iPad mini in portrait mode to type with your thumbs, you can't even press them in. All it lets you do is feel where the buttons are that you can see below. Anyhow, eh, I don't see that really catching on. Well, just, just helping you locate makes sense. The question is, who, who really needs this? Like you said, whose problem are we solving? Right. The gaming uh, thought, though, is really uh, interesting because you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll just play even just short little games, and um, it is kind of that disconnect. You kind of have to look to where your fingers are if they drift a little bit. The prototype that they had where the water, the reservoir liquid is built in was really interesting. You can look at our video on Apple Insider. They um, like if you open the Notes app and the keyboard pops up, the bubbles just appear. And when you mm-hmm. go back home, the bubbles just disappear automatically. And that's a pretty cool software implementation of the physical little knobs on there. And again, yeah, I don't know how because the reservoirs right now are kind of built into that. Um, it's the case into the case, right? So to be able to adapt it depending on the game that's being displayed or if you go to horizontal portrait. I'm sure they're working on that, but I'm sure that's uh, well, pr- pretty difficult too. The the current technology is that there are little microscopic holes drilled into the the places between, which is how the, the liquid knows where to go. It goes where that hole is, right? right. It's, it's physics. Um, science. Science, yeah, it's man. Science. It's because <laughs> but, of science. So, so unless you could dynamically rearrange physical holes, um, the laws of physics do not work this way. So it's yeah. it's uh, it, it's a cool invention. It's very cool, yeah. For specific use cases, if the buttons could be pressed, then I think it would be a lot more interesting. But I mean, I think you're still going to have to look down at the keyboard anyhow. I don't know that feeling it is really going to help in that situation. I just I can't right. really see this catching on the way it is right now. It's a it's a really cool G G whiz kind of thing, but I, I don't really see it catching on. You know, if you're an Apple retail employee and you are greeting people and checking them in for a Genius Bar appointment and typing their names and doing these things for for eight hour a day, right? Maybe it makes sense because you're touch typing all the darn time, and this is a way of just locating your fingers quickly without having to look. I think the old diehard BlackBerry fans would be all over it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because they're making an iPhone six plus uh, prototype. But but the the old BlackBerry diehard fans, where where the heck are they? 
They're dying Water, <laughs> Waterloo, Canada is not succeeding on the backs of RIM. So, so yeah. those guys are all gone. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't heard anything of BlackBerry in the news for a long time, actually. Well, they actually just released their uh, retro phone, uh, the throwback one that they have for all the classic, the BlackBerry Classic, they call it. Really? Um, I'm sure they'll sell a lot of those, you know. <laughs> wow. For people that want... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who's going to buy it, but uh, good for them for trying and for sticking around. It feels like too little, too late for them. Uh, yeah. But hey. Oh, last last uh, thing I'll mention. Uh, it's kind of a news popped up today. The Pinterest integration with iOS. Uh, apparently, if you go to Pinterest app on your iPhone or iPad, you'll be able to install apps directly from Pinterest without even uh, going to the App Store. And uh, it's the first, I think, social media that social media application that allows you to do that. Twitter, you can click install app and they take you to the app store, but Pinterest, it'll install directly uh, to the device. So interesting, especially being Pinterest, that they're the first one to do this. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised Pinterest is still a thing. It's not really my my area. My wife was on it for a little while, but she told me that uh, people were losing interest in it uh, because I guess there was less creating and more just sharing other people's stuff. So right. uh, I don't know how well Pinterest is doing right now, but it certainly seems like interesting integration for the App Store. Yeah, it'd be great if it could move on to... It would be really nice, too, is if you can see an app on your Mac on a web browser, like, you know, you read articles all day about a new app that comes out, to just be able to say, install on my iOS device, and all of a sudden, boom, it's there. And because Android has that to an extent, if you browse Google Play mm-hmm. on your uh, on the web, you can install the app on your phone. And iTunes, you can kind of do that if you have automatic app downloads enabled, but it's not the same. Yeah, definitely an area that needs improvement. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you, Neil and Victor and all of you guys for joining us. Neil, where can people find you on the Internet? Well, you can read my stuff at Apple Insider, and I'm on a uh, Twitter account. This is Neil. Very good. And, Victor, where can people find you? I am at VMarks on Twitter, and I write awesome stuff for Apple Insider. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) And I'm at Stephen Robles on Twitter. You can see my stuff on Apple Insider as well. If you like the show, we encourage you to please go to the iTunes store and rate it with five stars and leave a comment. We'd really appreciate it if you do that. And, of course, subscribe. You guys have been great and uh, keeping us in the in the top ten in the technology and tech news categories on iTunes. So we really appreciate it. Go rate it and subscribe. You can find show notes on the post that will go up at appleinsider.com, and you'll have links to all the articles that we mentioned. And, of course, follow at Apple Insider on Twitter tweet at us when you have questions or suggestions for podcast topics and stuff that we can talk about on the air. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you next week. All right. 